Bite-Size Insights with Kantar Australia. Hi, this is Brian Walker-Catchpole from Kantar TNS and I'm speaking with Deepak Varma. He is the, uh, the, uh, the head of neuroscience for Kantar in North America and Asia-Pacific, so effectively, uh, I guess, the director of mind control. Uh, for Kanto, not to put too fine a point on it, but actually we've had a very interesting conversation with Deepak about uh, the possibilities of neuroscience, but also, I guess fundamentally uh, the power of System 1 and System 2. Deepak, can you give us a bit of a, I guess, a, a grounding in terms of what System 1 and System 2 are and how they affect us in terms of our, our, our lives and, and the way that we interact, I guess, with brands and advertisers? Yeah, so actually it's very interesting because, um, you know, in terms of understanding System 1, System 2, you kind of try to understand what neuroscience tells you is about how the brain processes information and 90% of your brain is actually uh, doing hemostasis. It actually runs your basic body functions. Now two to 3% part of the brain is basically responsible for what we call as implicit processing. That is mm -hmm. system one. That is the part of the brain which is on the moment you wake up. It is on all the time. It is automatic, easy. It is the part of the brain which actually helps you navigate your day-to-day -day life. So you get up in the morning, you brush your teeth, you sit in a car, you reach office and you won't even remember how you've reached office. System two actually switches on only when I ask you a question. So if I will show you a particular face, you can recognize a face in literally less than 40 milliseconds. But if I ask you to multiply 15 into 19, that is the time when you're actually exercise system two, which is your rational part of the brain. Your so rational kicking part. into gear effectively. So that, so the rational part of the brain can actually, will only come into being and in play when you're asked to pay attention to something. Right. And you cannot pay attention for more than, you know, 10 minutes unless you are reading a book, yeah. uh, when which the mind goes into a completely different state. So basically what happens is in terms of measuring system one and system two, unless you're not measuring both the systems, you're only getting a partial view in terms of how the brain actually processes information. Right, and we're talking about a pretty, it's a pretty old part of the brain and a very powerful part of the brain, aren't we? Yes. Just of that system one. So you were talking before about, um, I guess the power of priming and how images can have a, quite a profound impact uh, in our day-to-day -day lives and, and, and the way that we, I guess, interact with the world. Can you give us a, a bit of an explanation as to how that works? Yeah, so priming is a, a you know, form of a non-conscious form of memory where images and words can actually impact behavior. And a lot of people actually don't realize that it is completely non-conscious and are not even aware of it. There was a, there are a couple of studies and I think the two studies which I'd like to talk about is where they had actually shown happy faces, sad faces and angry faces to a couple of people who were thirsty. Mm -hmm. And the people who were shown happy faces drank more Kool-Aid compared to people who saw neutral or literally drank the Kool-Aid. Literally <laughs> drank the Kool-Aid. And uh, the second, I think, was a very nice, iconic example where uh, uh, John Barge was a famous psychologist in New York State University. He got uh, students 18 to 22 years old, and they basically gave them you know, five words. So it was basically related to old age. So Florida, wrinkled, bald, gray, and one other word and basically ask them to construct four word sentences with these. People who had worked with most of these words, then they were asked to walk from one room to another. That was the real experiment. Mm -hmm. People who had worked with those words walked far more slowly compared to people who had not been exposed to those words. Oh, amazing. 
So it was, it was actually having a real-world effect. The it interaction is, with words and concepts is having a real-world physical effect. Physical effect. And that's why, you know, the implication of that in advertising is that when you use certain words, whether, you know, if you want to drive the feeling of exhilaration, and if you use words which are metaphors of exhilaration, it will drive that feeling in you unconsciously. Likewise, if you show really happy faces, yeah, it might actually lead to somebody using your product more. So they, these are these are pretty powerful forces we're talking about in terms of the, this kind of implicit meaning and the way it can be used. Um, as researchers, obviously, you've you've talked about us uh, the need to measure system one and system two. What's new in neuroscience? So what what's actually happening now in terms of developments? Obviously, you know we're coming at it from a market research perspective, but neuroscience is broadly applicable in terms of you know health sciences and and sciences totally. generally. What can we look forward to? And maybe, are there any sort of watchouts and dangers we need to think about in terms of you know, know, the I technology? Think, um, oh, first of all, what's happened, I guess, the progression of uh, things like facial coding has moved so advanced that you will actually see iPhone 10 using your face. I'm holding as, it up now, yeah. Oh, you're holding one now. I was literally so, just doing that to read uh, my notes. And <laughs> <laughs> iPhone 10 thinks of your face as a far more accurate signature than a fingerprint. Mm. And that's where the advancement of facial coding has, has moved, that today it is being explored by the medical community. And um, you know, if you actually look at the Affectiva website, there are videos which will show how the technology is being used to help children with autism to understand what their mother is, say, emoting, because kids with autism cannot process emotion. Or they cannot process yeah. emotion. Um, and I think there was another uh, work which is being done, and this is by a 17-year-old you know, um, girl who looked at Michael J. Fox's for a, you know, interview, and she saw him smiling in a particular way, and she kind of realized that people who have Parkinson's uh, cannot smile fully. And she's actually working on an algorithm to devise uh, a way in which they can use facial coding to predict if people have Parkinson's based on how they smile and they can actually detect Parkinson's five to 10 years before the onset. When the technology is actually becoming so powerful that it can actually help mankind, then it is powerful enough to actually measure your hands. Absolutely. Deepak, that was fascinating. Thank you so much. Great, thank you.